0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: And so what happens, he's in those temple courts discussing the Word of God, asking questions and and answering questions related to the Word of God. He's 12 years old. Now, all I'm saying by saying that is that we may be expecting too little of our youngsters.
0: This next study is a two-part message entitled, Jesus in Jerusalem. We will look at Mark chapter 11 in its entirety over the next two broadcasts, considering things like the triumphal entry, the fig tree withered, Jesus' cleansing of the temple, and all things chapter 11. So let's listen in.
1: Chapter 11. We continue our study through Mark's gospel with a message entitled, Jesus in Jerusalem. We read here in Mark 11.1, 1, Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. Immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And so uh, the response to that there in verse six, he spoke to them just as Jesus commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the others, cut down uh, and, and excuse me. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it and many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple So when he looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This may be Jesus' most important visit to Jerusalem. When it comes to the reality of our salvation in him, our security in him, certainly this Passover season is going to be the most important but Jesus had been up to Jerusalem on a regular basis. You know, he wasn't born there. He was born uh, instead in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And it's fitting that the bread of life would be born in the house of bread. But it was prophesied in Micah 5 too, That would be the case. He was raised in Nazareth. And, uh, and, and again, there's a fulfillment of prophecy related there. But the the city of the great king, the city of our Lord, the city from which he will rule and reign when he returns to the earth for that thousand year millennial reign, that city is his city, his true home on earth. Now, the first time he visited, it's not in Mark's gospel. It's in Luke's gospel. I'll give you just a couple things to chew on. It's an excellent example for parents. Uh, at least, well, Mary's a parent. Joseph is helping to raise Jesus, the father being his father, our heavenly father being his father. But in any case, they, um, they give us an example in that they go up to Jerusalem. This is Eight days after his birth um, in Bethlehem, he would have been circumcised. Forty days after that birth, uh, Mary would have been considered clean. She would have gone through the ceremonial cleansing that allowed her access back into the, the fullness of the community and all of that. But then they head up to Jerusalem because it's the time of Passover. And, uh, and as they enter Jerusalem, now get it, Jesus is about you know, 40 days or however long it took to get from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, 40 days plus um, uh, old. They bring him into the temple and there are two people who confront him there. I don't know if that's the best word. The first is named Simon. He's someone who was devout, expectant. The Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him. That he would see the Lord's salvation before his death. And he sees them walk into the temple somehow. Well, the Holy Spirit reveals to him this is the one. And so he takes Jesus up in his arms, and he begins to bless God for him. It's a bit of a dedication, if you will, something we do here, and certainly something they did in their day. In fact, let me read it to you. It's, this is Luke 2.28, if you want to jot it down and look later. He took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, "'Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace "'according to your word, "'for my eyes have seen your salvation.'" which you've prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Another gal is there. She's a widow and has been such for a very long time. Her name is Anna. She's a prophetess and and she comes up and well, she also has some things to say about him and in relationship to him, it's in verse 38 of that same chapter, chapter two of Luke. It says, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. That that particular section, that first visit um, there to Jerusalem for Jesus, well, it, it says, after performing all God's law required, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, And the grace of God was upon him. His next recorded visit isn't until he's 12 years old, but we know that he'd been there many times in between. How so? Verse 41 of Luke 2 says his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. So Jesus would have been going year after year it's likely that he attended other feasts with them because it wasn't just the Passover. There were three major feasts. And if you were close enough to get there or had opportunity to come, well, you were encouraged to be at each and every one of those. There were seven throughout the year. So if you were just a feaster, you could say, hey, another feast, another feast, sort of like our holidays. We have Thanksgiving now, and then we have Christmas, and then we have uh, fasting and health clubs. And so... Uh, Anyway, in his second visit, they go up to Jerusalem. He's 12 years old. And uh well, at 12 years old, a Jewish boy became a man. How so? Well, He became a son of the law. How did that happen? They would go to one of the priests and the priest would read in Hebrew from the law of God over him. And then he, the child, who's becoming a man at 12, would take and read a short psalm from the word of God. And then, well, the the priest would say this. He would um Tell him that he'd reached the age of discretion, knew the difference between right and wrong and would now be accountable to do what's good and shun the evil, to diligently do what he knew to be right, obedient to parents, kind and loving to his siblings, generous to all in need, faithful to the faith. The priest would place his hand on the boy's head, praying that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob would bless him. Protect him from danger and sin and make him wise and good. And after his life, be it long or short, he'd stand in the presence of God. It's a powerful thing because we live in a society where there's this huge gap. First, you're, you're a child, then you're a teenager, and then you're in your twenties or your thirties. But, but there's serious debate over when people actually mature and would be held accountable. I kind of like that system. I think 12 is plenty old to understand the consequences of your decisions. And, and in any case, Jesus was in the word and, and in the law and well and submitted in every way to it. It's important. So we have the example of his parents bringing him as a child to dedicate him to the Lord. We have Jesus example because immediately after this. His folks pack up and they head home with the caravan of people they had arrived with. And, uh, and they get about a day's, day's journey out and they, they realize, hey, where's Jesus? And he's like, well, I thought you had him. I thought he was maybe he's with Uncle Joe. So they go and they look. He's not in the company. They've traveled far enough that they have to come back to find him. And it's three days from when they had left, when they finally find him in the temple not the temple proper because he's not a Levitical priest or from the, the, the tribe of Aaron, but he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he's in the temple courts, and this will be important in our study today. This is the background, this is the foundation that, that this whole thing's built on. And, and so what happens? He's in those temple courts discussing the word of God, asking questions and and, and answering questions related to the word of God. He's 12 years old. Now, all I'm saying by saying that is that we may be expecting too little of our youngsters. You know, when a kid's three years old or two even, whenever they can first physically do it, well, we always made Had our kids do just simple chores, make the bed, take out the garbage, do the dishes, wash the car, mow the lawn. No, that came later. But but even as a little one, you teach them to do simple things. When they're teenagers, I hear parents say, I just can't get him to clean his room. And I'm baffled by that. You could do it when he was two or three. Why can't you do it when he's 12 or 13? But maybe there's just a breakdown somehow between the child's responsibility and yours because it's your responsibility to teach them to be good citizens, godly Christians, You know, not just believers in, in stuff about Jesus, but a relationship with Jesus submitted to you as Jesus was submitted to Mary and Joseph. So in any case... Uh, there's there's a great example for us. And and, and uh, when they find him, by the way, Mary says something that's so um, so typical. She's like, how could you do this to us? And it's like, do this to you? I, I don't think Jesus thought he was doing anything to them. And I don't think your kids think they're doing anything to you when they do something that you're like, how can they do that? How can they do that? Well, maybe they're watching you and listening to you and just want to be like you. And so. If you ever hear them say something or do something and you're like, how in the world? You know, ask your wife. She'll tell you how that kid learned that, you know. But anyway, they they're good at explaining such things to us. Hey, so so here's what happens when they find him. And and, and she's like, why would you do this to us? He's like, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Didn't you know I had to be here in my father's house? They didn't understand the statement. This is still Luke 2. I've kind of just walked you through it. Understand the statement when he spoke. But he went down with them, came to Nazareth, subject to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. He grew up just like every other child does. Grew in wisdom, that spiritual and uh, or, or wisdom, that's mental, excuse me, intellectual. Uh, in wisdom and stature, that's physical. And favor with God, that's spiritual. And in favor with man, that's social. Well, that brings us back to our passage. Now, they'd gone every year to the feast. They dedicated him there that first year. They took him when he was 12 and he became a son of the law. Now he's in Jerusalem for the last time. As far as his uh, earthly uh, time, he'll, well, he'll be there for you know, the ascension and, the, and some other things. But, but this is his last Passover celebration in Jerusalem until he returns to rule and reign upon the earth. So we read it in verse 6. Back up with me. Uh, Mark eleven six. 6. Then uh, they spoke to him just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David, that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They're quoting from Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt and the foal of a donkey. Then we know Psalm 118, one of the Hallel or praise psalms sung always at Passover, provides the basis for the rest of this. Hosanna, they cried. Hosanna. Why? The words mean save now. Save now. So that's where we are in all of this Um, by the way Luke tells us in his gospel in chapter 19 that the Pharisees came saying rebuke your disciples tell them to stop saying that why save now save now calling him the son of David and listen they are acknowledging Jesus as the long-awaited messiah as the savior of the world. And the Jews knew well the Old Testament. That's the only Bible they actually had. New Testament was just being lived out and would soon be recorded for us. So they knew well that God says in the Old Testament, I am the only savior. There is none but me, a just God and a savior. There is none like me. And you can find dozen or more of those particular claims of God if you go into and spend some time uh, looking for them in the Old Testament. So, so they're actually acknowledging he's the son of David. He's the son of God, if you will. They're asking him to save. And, and that equated with them believing he was the son of God and God the son. It will get clearer as we press on. So. Uh, In any case, he went into Jerusalem. We read it. Oh, Jesus told those Pharisees, by the way, forgot to mention it. If they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Well, they go into Jerusalem. He looks around the temple. And and afterwards, he goes out and heads back up to Bethany with the twelve. Bethany, this is the city of Mary. Of Martha and of Lazarus, he's now known as that guy who used to be dead, but now he's alive. And Lazarus seriously had become a major tourist attraction. Why? Nobody had ever met anyone who'd been dead and buried for four days and then brought back. Nobody had met someone like that. So they would be on their way to Jerusalem. They say, hey, let's go through Bethany, see if Lazarus is home. And they're like, you don't even know Lazarus. It doesn't matter. I just want to talk to him. And and he became such a powerful witness for the Lord. Listen, this is important that the religious leaders who were going to make sure Jesus was crucified decide they have to kill Lazarus, too. That's how serious they were, how how lost in the darkness they were. And that's how wonderful his witness to the people around well, the Prince of Peace entered the city of peace triumphantly. I doubt that the Roman soldiers would have been impressed. Why? Well, if they'd come from Rome or been to Rome, when there was a celebration there, it was massive. It was like something you'd see in New York or in London and, and just this, this radical, uh, you know, over the top celebration. Um, When Caesar conquered somewhere or sent out people to do it, when someone was, you know, brought onto the throne, which happened often because those guys like to kill the one who was serving so they could rise up. But not just that. um, When Titus conquers Jerusalem in 70 A.D., he comes back. They build a mighty arch. It's still there. This massive arch, at least as tall. I'm certain more more taller. No, just taller than this. And, uh, and about as wide as it. So, you know, 30 of you can walk through it, you know, side by side. And, and uh, that's in Rome today. So, so they would have looked at this, this group, right? You've got a bunch of people in front and behind Jesus. They're cutting down palm branches. Why we call it Palm Sunday, by the way. They're cutting down palm branches and putting them on the ground. And they're laying their clothes on the ground. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would have thought, man, this is this is like strange. The religious leaders, however, as I already mentioned, these guys were seriously stressed over the whole thing. And so um, religious leaders stressed out the common people who followed him, heard him gladly. They would celebrate this event the rest of their lives. Well, Monday, the next day. As he comes uh, back to Jerusalem from Bethany, where they spent the night, he, uh, he curses a figless fig tree, he cleanses a corrupted temple, and he amazes some of the common people. The next day we read verse 12, when he had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. His, in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. What we have in this fig tree, and it's sort of a two part thing. We see a demonstration of his power. Mostly his power was used to do good, you know, to bless, give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. The lame could walk and leap and run. Uh, He raised the dead. But but he is going to curse this fig tree. And it's a picture spiritually for us because God calls Israel in the Old Testament uh, his first fruits. It's in Hosea 9. He says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on a fig tree. In its first season, in Joel 1.7 and again in one twelve, they speak of Israel as God's fig tree and mention it being ruined and withered. So that's significant as we press on in a moment. Verse 15, they come to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. The seats of those who and the seats of those who sold doves. What's going on here? This is gentle and, you know, loving Jesus, the one with the little lamb on his, you know, shoulders. And, and he's there turning over tables and taking a whip and getting people out of there. What's actually transpiring and why? Here's what's going on. What began As a public service, a a personal ministry, people were traveling great distances. They were supposed to offer a lamb. If they couldn't afford a lamb, then it would be uh, turtle doves and such. And so they, they didn't always bring a lamb. They would purchase a lamb. But lambs got very expensive around Passover season. And then, well... When people came to make their offering in the temple, they couldn't receive coins that weren't, you know, sanctified to the temple. And so what that meant is you need to get your money exchanged and they charge exorbitant exchange rates. Uh, Back to the thing of offering a sacrifice. One reason Jesus is so upset in this whole thing is these things take place in the court of the Gentiles. This is the only place a Gentile believer could approach the temple, the only part of the temple grounds where they were allowed. So th- what happens is these guys set up shop there and uh, they charge exorbitant, again, rates to, to exchange the money so you could offer uh, a coin as, uh, you know, these guys are they're becoming followers of God through the Jewish culture that the people who had met them and shared with them and loved on them. And now they're coming to the feast. Some of them were becoming Jews or at least, you know, uh, religious Jews. They couldn't change their ethnicity. But uh, in, in the sense of all of this, what's happening is that Jesus is turning over the tables and and chasing people out because they are abusing the people who were coming to worship the Lord, taking advantage of them. Instead of praying for them, they were praying on them. And so he's not gonna put up with that. In fact, the only time you see Jesus angry is when, well, he's being misrepresented to people who are hungering to know him and his forgiveness.
0: When we consider the significance of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, there's one thing that has always blown me away. In Daniel 9.25, the Messiah's entry into Jerusalem was foretold in prophecy given to Daniel by the angel Gabriel. Now, if you do the math that you'll read in the next several verses of Daniel, you'll find that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the very day that was predicted in Daniel. I encourage you to study that, as fulfilled prophecy is just one of the things that strengthen our faith, and the Bible is full of it. and your peace it fills my soul and your gifts
1: of salvation in your son